I, I want to welcome you to today's edition of The Bradley Hall Show. And I am your host, The Bradley Hall. If you or someone you know has recently discovered through an at-home DNA testing kit that one or both of your biological parents are not who you always thought they were, I want you to know that you are not alone. In fact, there's a very large group of people just like you who have connected and bonded over this unique situation. I happen to be one of them. The group is sponsored by an organization called the NPE Friends Fellowship. If you would like more information on how to join this group, please visit my website, www.thebradleyhall.com and look for the free NPE Resources Kit. Simply submit your email and I will send you an email full of links and resources to help you in your journey, including specific instructions on how to find and join the MPE Friends Fellowship. We look forward to sharing your journey with you. I am proud to announce that today's episode, as well as every episode this month during NPE Awareness Month, is brought to you in partnership between The Bradley Hall Show and the NPE Friends Fellowship. You can find out more information at npefellowship.org. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of The Bradley Hall Show. I am your host, The Bradley Hall. My guest today is Brianne Kirkpatrick. She is a genetic counselor, a DNA coach, an author, and the founder of Watershed DNA. Brianne's combination of skill and compassion enable her to support people in the aftermath of their surprise DNA discovery. She guides people uncovering a situation of NPE or not parent expected, coaches those preparing to share a DNA secret and assist those attempting to search for biological family and find the right path forward. Please welcome Brianne Kirkpatrick. Hi, Brad, how are you? Thanks for uh, joining me today. I'm glad to have you here. Glad to be here, thanks for having me. You're welcome, you're welcome. So uh, I wanna bring everyone up to speed. You wanna give everyone a little little intro to, to who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, my name is Brianne Kirkpatrick, and I'm a genetic counselor, and I specialize in ancestry testing, which is the type of DNA test that can give people information about their ethnicity and um, who they're related to, you know, relatives, DNA relatives. And I was a clinical genetic counselor in the medical field for a number of years before I got interested in genealogy personally and started doing DNA tests for family genealogy purposes and just stumbled into this area where I realized there's a lot of um, people making surprise discoveries that they were really not expecting to find out. And so I began working um, individually, like one-on-one -on -one with people who were making surprise DNA discoveries about the family they're related to, and um, worked also to reach people through blogging and, and book writing. So just trying to find, um, you know, meet people where they are to give them the support and the information that they're looking for after their DNA test. Okay. Okay, great. Which is why you're here. Um, you know, June is NPE Awareness Month, and I've dedicated all my episodes to uh, to the NPE phenomenon. 
uh, which I am personally uh, have been affected by. So how, how long have you been doing this? When did, when did you get started doing this? I developed an interest in genealogy in 2013. And um, okay. then I started Watershed DNA at the beginning of 2016. So it's been, um, you know, I'm in my fifth year of, of doing work through my private practice, Watershed DNA. And really in the past two years, I've seen an explosion in um, people making these discoveries that they're an MPE or somebody in their family is and looking, turning to the internet to look for information and support. There were no support groups before I started Watershed DNA. And now we have NPE Friends, which is a wonderful resource I send people to all of the time. There are support groups on Facebook. There are support groups off of Facebook. So it's really a different world now for NPEs than it was in 2016 in a way that I'm really encouraged by. Yeah. Yeah, so just in my experience, I, I joined uh, the MPE Friends, That's the, the Facebook group is the first uh, thing I found. My wife saw a blurb in, in the newspaper within just days after my discovery, which was a little uh, was a little ironic. And uh, there were 300 people in the group that was two years ago, probably this, this week. And now I think there's 7,300 in just two, two years. So that, that, you know, illustrates the point of just how Quickly. And I saw a statistic today, and I don't know how accurate this is, I can't really cite the source, but they're expecting 20 million new DNA testing kits uh, this year. Uh, I don't know, do you have any, any insight on that? The, the databases are all growing at their own rates with some of the companies selling a bit more tests than others, but I, I know that at the end of 2019, there were over 20 million test kits with all the, the companies combined. And it's growing not quite as exponentially as it was in the past. We're seeing a little bit of a flattening out of the, the curve of how many people are ordering the DNA tests, but it's not stopping. It's not going away. People are still interested in this. And you know nobody really expects to be the one that's gonna get the surprise when they do the yeah. tests. So I, I don't think the stories that people hear of, um, you know, being warned that you could, you could discover something you're not prepared for. No one really seems to think that's going to apply to them, which, I mean, who would expect yeah. that just a, a fun DNA kit would reveal a surprise like that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I do know that uh, some of the companies, I don't want to mention them by name, but some of them experienced uh, massive losses in the first quarter this year and had, had massive layoffs uh, and I, I know that there was speculation that it is because of the bad news that's coming along but you don't you don't think that's necessary or that that's accurate um I don't I don't know that so I think there's a couple of different reasons that could be happening one of them is um that kind of all of the people who are really interested in that kind of test have for the most part tested. So the, the really interested population has already kind of gone there. Um, and it's pretty common in, in all technologies to see kind of the S curve where sure. it takes a while for a technology to pick, be picked up and then over time it starts to flatten out again. And so I think part of that's just natural progression of technology. I do think the use of these DNA tests to identify criminals 
and um, for law enforcement to do searches through the genealogy databases to identify suspects in criminal cases. When those news stories started to come out, I think that's when people stopped and started to realize the power of the tests and uh, maybe take a, sec a step back and think, you know, is this something, is my privacy going to be, you know, violated by whoever it might be, you know, law enforcement or the government, you know, who's going to have my data. I think there's a lot more um, concerns than there were before that started. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, and I know that there's also been a, a significant increase in the number of companies who are also testing, uh, offering the testing. So that could also account for some of that as well. So uh, that's a great point that you bring up about the privacy. I, I, I think that's, that's probably pretty accurate. So um, so what is the, the, the number one thing that you see, and, and I'm kind of setting you up here, we've, we've talked about this already, but um, so I shouldn't say number one, but one of, one of the things that you've seen quite a bit of are people uh, refusing the validity of the results. Is that, is that true? Yeah, so I would, I would say the first question that people ask me when they first made a discovery and they're reaching out, the, the most common question people have is, could this be wrong? Is there any way that the DNA test is wrong? You know, there's skepticism and doubt and concern. And I think that is a very natural part of making the discovery, both for the person who's making the discovery and if they're, you know, trying to make contact with biological family. It's almost, I see it as a normal phase for someone to go through to, to question, you know, how can this be true? Could this be wrong? And so I ended up writing a short ebook just to summarize all of the different reasons that I have heard of for the DNA tests coming out the way that they come out and address that question, could the DNA test be wrong? And um, in most cases, no, there's no issue with the DNA test itself being wrong, but sometimes the way it's interpreted, it can be misinterpreted. So the DNA technology is not in question but the way that information is being interpreted either by the company or by the person trying to understand the results, sometimes there can be a misinterpretation. Very rarely there's biological explanations, which we can get into that a little bit later because those are very rare but very interesting situations okay. when the biological reason is, is, is the one. Uh, but that's a, a, a good segue into kind of this topic of, you know, okay. could DNA test be wrong? Can, do you have an example of, of what an interpretation, uh, a faulty interpretation would entail? Sure. Um, I'll use a, a situation that was a, a client of mine who came to me and she said, I have this unexpected match in my DNA test list and it, and the company, and I, I am going to name company names here because 23andMe tends to have a little bit more of the interpretation problems. Okay. Um, she said, I had my I did a DNA test at 23andMe, and it says I have a half sibling. This person is a mystery to me. I don't know who they are. Um, you know, what, what's going on here? And before she reached out to me, she had also had one of her first cousins she knows of 
and had her first cousin test at 23andMe. So she and her first cousin both tested and they were matching this mystery person. Both of them were matching the mystery person as a half sibling. So okay. they were just very confused. Like, how can this person be his, his half, half sibling and my half sibling? What's going on here? And when we looked, I did a, a deeper dive into the DNA results because there's tools at 23andMe where you can see exactly where do two people match along their chromosomes and how much DNA are they sharing. There, there's a measurement called centimorgan, which is important when you're looking at these DNA match results. So we looked at how many centimorgans they were all sharing, where the DNA was matching, what did the X chromosome look like, because that can hold some extra information. And it turns out that 23andMe reported this person as her half sibling when in fact it was her first cousin. Okay. And it was her other first cousin's half sibling. So it had identified the relationship wrong. Okay. And there's a couple reasons for that. One of them is um, there's a natural bell curve of how much DNA we share with someone who's of a particular relation to us. So first cousins can share a range of centimorgans and, and those, those curves overlap between half siblings and first cousins. So the, you share similar amounts of DNA. Uh, she ended up realizing that their maternal sides also connected. And um, so because she was related to this first cousin through her mom's side and her dad's side, okay. it falsely elevated how much DNA they shared and made it look like they were half siblings. So that's one example of where the, the DNA test company didn't have enough information about her family tree to really know, is this person a half sibling or a first cousin? So they labeled the relationship wrong. Okay. The other companies don't tend to have that issue as uh, they don't tend to have that issue because they don't get that specific with relationships. So at okay. Ancestry, for example, they group first cousins and half siblings and aunts and uncles into the same category and just say, this is a close family member, but they don't try to get more detailed than that. Okay. Okay. And I've seen, I've seen that. So in, in, in ancestry, they'll say this is between the third and fifth cousin or potentially uh, the, you know, a first a second cousin or a first cousin once removed. And they, they give you a wide array where, where 23andMe tries to get a little more exact on, on the prediction. Is that yeah. fair, fair assessment? That is a very, yep, that's a good description of how those two companies differ. And, you know, there's some disadvantages and advantages to each approach. I do have concerns about um, relationship when, if someone doesn't slow down and stop and do a little bit digger deeping, they might jump to a conclusion based on what 23andMe is telling them. And so I always try to encourage people, slow down, go through all the possible theories. If you're not really well familiar with the DNA tests, find somebody who is, who's really reliable and can go through those results and, and make sure that you know, what you think you're seeing is what you're actually seeing. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Uh, unfortunately, you know, being on that end of things, when the emotions get involved and that kind of a rush, um, we, we don't exactly, we're not thinking clearly, you know, uh, we're just trying to 
first of all, our brain can't connect to the new information. It wants to stay with, with the way we think things are. And so trying to rationalize the new reality is extremely difficult in the first place. And then once we, we begin, and I know you've heard this over and over and over, once we begin to realize, then the emotions start setting in and, there, and it, there's so much confusion. And I, 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 I experienced this personally. I mean, I, I, I've been through this. So it's good that, that there are people like you and, and, and there are more and more people like you in, in the groups that help sort a lot of this stuff out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's overwhelming. It is overwhelming. Yeah. It is, and it's hard it's for people to understand. Now. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So, with the um, and I know that you have you have a list here. Um, another reason could be a sample mix-up. Yeah, and what I what I meant by that is that um, some sometimes what happens if it if in a family multiple people are spitting in tubes at the same time, it's happened before that the tubes got mixed up and registered under the wrong person. So first of all, I just make sure there wasn't um, a mix up on your end of things. And on the company end of things, there's only ever been one sample mix up. And um, that was back in 2010, one of the DNA companies had a lab, um, an error in the lab where an entire tray of samples got turned. As it was getting put in the machine, the tray was turned the wrong way. So in a whole set of, I think it was about 90 samples were mixed up with each other because of the, that technology error. It's only happened that one time. Since then, all of the companies have put in safeguards to make sure that type of sample swap, that type of error never happens again. And um, from the laboratory side of things, that is the only swapping issue I've ever heard of before. Okay. Okay, so it's pretty safe to say that that it has to be done on the the sample side, the the the, the customer side, before they send the, the package in. Yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, I've also seen people logged into the wrong accounts too. So if you have two more than one DNA yeah. test registered in the same online account, if you're clicked in on the wrong person and you start looking through the match list. Um, you may not recognize names and it's because it's, you're not looking at the right, you're not yeah. looking at your account. So yeah. just I little things, you know, there's little reasons that it, that can um, cause temporary panic. And um, I just tried to find all of the different possible reasons and put them all in one place. So someone who's going through all of those theories in their mind, can check off, you know, could it be this? Could it be this? Could it be this? Yeah. Yeah. And most people will kind of get down to the point where they realize, no, there wasn't an error. No, it's not wrong. There wasn't a sample swap. So now, now what do I do? And so I yeah. provide resources and help people find their way to support next. Okay. Okay. Um, so do you want to get into the biological explanation now? You, you had mentioned earlier that we'll get into that later. Um, yeah, I think it's it's interesting. Um, they're also rare, but they are interesting. So kind of two reasons. One of them is a stem cell transplant. So this is the, the more common of the two biological reasons I've seen for the results coming out wrong. Um, if someone has a stem cell transplant where um, they go through chemotherapy or a type of treatment to kind of 
kill all of their bone marrow cells, and then they receive a stem cell transplant. The bone marrow is where your blood cells are produced. So from that point forward, after you have the stem cell transplant with somebody else's bone marrow or stem cells, uh, your blood is going to contain cells that have that person's DNA in them for the rest of your life. And some of the time, um, those cells will dominate your own DNA cells in your sample that you send into the test company. Some of the time it will be a mixed sample and so the company will fail the test. They won't result the test. They'll send you an email and say, we, we, the sample failed, you know, send us another one. Um, and so for that reason, the companies recommend don't do this testing if you've had a stem cell transplant, number one, because it may fail, and number two, because it might give you the results of your donor instead of your own okay. results. Okay. Uh, we don't see this happening if people have an, just an organ transplant or if it's a stem cell transplant localized to one part of the body. It really has to be the type of stem cell transplant that replaces your bone your bone marrow or your blood producing cells in your bone marrow. Um, but that has caused a couple of shocks for people who, sure. who are like, who's this new person matching me? And it ends up being their, you know, the, the person who received a stem cell donation from their son or their, you know, father or something. Well, like that. That, that's absolutely fascinating. Now, so it just affects the blood, right? It doesn't affect the, the person's DNA, doesn't alter their DNA. So there's no reproduction issues or anything like that it's just it's just the blood cells just the blood and they end up being um being a mixture having a mixture of both their original dna and most of their cells and then their donor's dna just in their you know white blood cells okay and that's it's a type of um a type of phenomenon called chimerism or being a chimera and that is that is the um, the other biological reason that someone could have their results come back is that they were naturally born a chimera. They have naturally have two sets of DNA in them. And wow. how this happens is early in pregnancy, the mother ovulated two eggs. They were separately fertilized and then those two eggs fused into one and became one person. So, um, most people who are, it's very rare, we don't really know, it's so rare we don't know how rare it is. What ends up happening with someone who's a chim born a chimera is they can live their whole life and not know it. Um, sometimes they can have medical problems that never have an explanation because they, um, maybe they have a set of male chromosomes and a set of female chromosomes and it can lead to some different developmental um, differences, like biological developmental differences. And then when they are of the age to have children, depending on which set of DNA gets passed on to their children, they might show up as their child's uncle instead of their father. Wow. Or they might show up as their child's aunt instead of their mother. So um, it just depends on, you know, what DNA gets passed down. So natural chimeras, people who are born chimeras, very rare, but I've worked, I've um, seen it happen on one case that I've worked with. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 
that's fascinating. I mean, the whole thing's fascinating, but the fact that you actually had a chance to be involved in that with as rare as it is, that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, it was very interesting. And for the person, I am, for the person who was uh, the chimera, he was so relieved to have a reason why because they they were telling him this child's not your son and he's like but i i he is my son and he yeah. really was his son it was just this really odd fluke of nature that had happened yeah. he was happy how, to have an how how did they figure it out at the hospital the baby's blood type was impossible given his parents blood type so they said something's it's impossible for your baby to have this blood type if the parents are this and that so then they did a, a, a standard paternity test. And the paternity test said, you are not this child's father. So- um, Boy, I bet that, that was- But well, every... what they suspected at that point, because it had been um, a fertility clinic helped them conceive. So okay. then they thought the fertility clinic messed up yeah. and had and fertilized the... with the wrong sperm. So the fertility clinic's like, you were the only person here that day. We had no sample to accidentally swap it with. So it wasn't us. Yeah. So then he, um, he had, the, the person himself had done some internet searching and came across this idea of chimerism. And um, so then he said, oh, may, maybe this is why. So then they did a 23andMe test. I don't know how they got a 23andMe sample from an infant, but somehow they did. So they tested the son and the father, and it showed an uncle-nephew match. Okay. So then at that point, he's like, well, this all adds up. And I had read a blog post about it, reached out to the person who wrote the blog post, reached out to another genetic counselor who I knew worked in the fertility um, paternity testing area, kind of got everybody together as a group, and did testing on samples from all over his body and they found two sets of dna wow. and one of his sons had been conceived with one set of dna and his other child had been conceived with the other set so his sons were more like cousins and half brothers to each other and wow. um even though he was the he was the father to both of them it was just wow. really and unusual, so rare that this shouldn't be something people think of as the first reason that yeah. their results are coming back the way they are. But um, never say never is what I've learned. That until you until you really look deep, don't jump to any conclusion. Yeah, yeah. So great, great point. That was, and that was why I asked how they figured it out because you know, it's if it's if it's that rare, getting someone to agree. Or, or to, thankfully, you were able to find it to be able to suggest it could be a possibility. But I, I think it's again, I'm going to reiterate what you said that people need to understand that this is, if there's a discrepancy, this is probably not it. This is correct. It, it could be, but it's probably not. Right. Okay. And I, you know, I, the most of the people that I deal with have a parent who's using this type of of thing as an excuse. And so that's why I'm being extremely clear about that because of the, of the, the, the large, the population of listeners that I have um, are in a situation where they have someone who's trying to discredit the validity of the test for one reason or another. 
and and so I just want to be very clear. You know, this is this is probably probably not it. So right, um, yeah, and you know, it might buy some time for um, everyone to adjust to the fact that the discovery has been made, and sometimes a little bit more time it can be harder, but it can also um, give everyone a chance to step back and figure out how, you know, how do we move forward now that the truth is out? Yeah. Um, so even if someone's denying, 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 maybe a little more time will help. Um, sometimes the no matter how much evidence you show, the denial continues. And so at that point, it's definitely helpful to connect with a support group or and or um, an individual one-on-one -on -one therapist or counselor. Yeah. Um, just to deal with, with how hard that can be. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, okay, so another, another reason um, would be a reporting issue. So the reporting issue is what I described earlier with 23andMe calling somebody a half sibling who's a cousin or vice versa. So the, the reporting of the match is um, is not accurate because not all and not all of the information is there. Okay, and you mentioned um, you mentioned something in your ebook about the ethnicity issue with reporting. Have you seen a big? Uh, have you have you seen examples of that? So, uh, what I've seen happen is um, someone makes the discovery of the MPE because their ethnicity so off from what they were raised to believe it was so for example someone will have been raised Jewish and and believe that they're you know both sides of the family are Jewish and then they get back a result that shows you know half Italian and half Jewish how can this be and so that ends up leading to the discovery of the, of the of the okay yeah um, uh, but also the can the ethnicity be wrong I I tend to tell people take it at the at the continental level it's never wrong so it the testing is very reliable at identifying asian versus african versus european things like that but when you get really granular with subregions and very specific parts of europe for example or you know the getting really granular with 0.1% of an ethnicity those can change over time because the companies are updating their data sets and updating their algorithms or the way that they analyze the DNA to classify people's ethnicity. So okay. on, a, on a larger scale, it's not going to be wrong, but if you are trying to determine if there's an NPE situation going on based on the ethnicity, it's got to be a huge discrepancy for that to really, you know, be be suggesting that there's an MPE going on. Okay, great. That's great information to have. Um, okay, well, I'll, I'll kind of kick this back to you. Is there anything that you want to, I mean, we'll probably get into the Uncovered Family Secret a little bit. Um, so something, something I would like to say is that I realize that um, when people first make these discoveries, everyone 
feels like they're the only one who's gone through this or it's the only one that it's happening to. And I always try to encourage people to know that they are not alone in the experience they're going through. It's happened to millions of people at this point. And as much of a shock as it is for the MTE themselves, the biological family that they end up being matched to, who maybe doesn't even know that they exist, they also go through a different type of shock and trauma, but it's a shock and trauma experience nonetheless for people who are realizing that there's you know, someone that they never knew about. And um, I, I have worked with people on all different sides of the MPE discovery, and there's always more going on behind the scenes than anyone realizes within families. So if an MPE is feeling like they're being rejected or ignored, realize that the, the family they've reached out to is um, kind of adjusting to not, not that person individually because they don't know you. You know, they don't, they don't know you. Great they point. can't reject you because they don't know you. They're dealing with their own readjustment to this, to this um, you know, their family structure is changing. And that happens more easily in some families than others. So giving time, more time than it feels like you should have to give, sometimes that's what the families need. Um, making sure that your biological father, that you see him as part of a family and not so much as an individual, especially if he has a wife and other children, uh, it's a whole family unit. And, as, and so what your expectations might be may not be something that can be given back to you. So, um, it doesn't mean that it's not worth trying, which is not what I'm saying. And there, there have been many successful situations where families all are able to adjust to this news. Um, but if it's, if it's not, um, work, find someone to work with to help you be okay, no matter what happens on the other side. Yeah. And, and as you, you pointed out in the very beginning of that, you know, just because they're not open to you right now doesn't mean they won't ever be. Right. And, and so we, we've talked about that on, on some of the other episodes that this is a shock to everyone. It shatters everyone's perception of the way they thought things were. And that's difficult for any human being to handle under any circumstances. Um, you know, if you have a, you have a family who there, you discover your biological father who has another family, you're smack right in the middle of it. Uh, you know, from a chronological standpoint, everyone has to come to grips with perhaps that their father had an affair, maybe their parents had marital problems and split temporarily and they weren't aware of it. Uh, you know, so, so many different reasons that could happen, but the entire perception of, of, of all the children with their father, of the wife with the father, or whatever the case may be, everything changes and it's tough. It's tough, especially... When children, you know, we grow up thinking our parents are superheroes. And, you know, I remember, I remember transitioning, you know, into adulthood when I began to realize that my parents were just normal people like everyone else. And, um, but even still, I think to some degree, we still think that their lives were different than ours. They didn't have the same problems or make the same mistakes. Uh, one, because they're, 
generation wasn't documented like ours is, you know, um, we have cameras everywhere and, and DNA technology and the things that they didn't have, you know, two or three generations ago. So I, I, I just want to hammer that home that I, I agree with you and people need to understand that everyone involved and there, there are exceptions, right? There are people who uh, have no consideration for other people's feelings and uh, they're very selfish and maybe mean spirited. There, there are those, but for the most part, people are just trying, they're just trying to navigate their way through it the best way they know how, and it may not be the right way, but, um, but I think that's all, uh, typically the case. Don't you? I do. There's a, a journalist named Libby Copeland who recently released a book um, about DNA family secrets. And she talked to hundreds of people about their stories. And I went to a, a book event with her and was in the audience and listening to the questions at the end. And one of the points that, that Libby made that was in part of the discussion is that we, we can't look at the past as if it's the same as present day. We almost have to look at the past, generations past as a foreign country where we don't understand all of the customs and we don't understand why people made the decisions they do. We can't look at it through today's lens. So, you know, 50 years ago, women didn't have the option to do paternity testing if there was any question. And so they had to make their best guess or maybe they weren't even aware that there was a, a different potential father. And so not every situation um, was intentional. Not everyone was knew they were keeping secrets. And so I, that, that really was an interesting perspective for me to hear is, you know, think about the past as a foreign country. And yeah. unless you were living there at that time, you can't really fully understand the decisions that people made. Yeah, I absolutely. And, and, and not only that, but people from a different generation still are going to behave differently today than people, than younger people, because uh, they come from generations where you didn't tell your secrets, you didn't talk about things, you didn't, uh, you know, and, and I think young people today are just more open, more apt because, you know, privacy is kind of a thing of the past with technology. I mean, there's so many different reasons, but um, you know, there are things that my daughter says that my, that her grandmother just gasped. She can't, you know, my daughter's 16 and my, my mother-in-law just can't believe that it, it comes out of her mouth. And she always says, when I was that age, if I had said that, it's just a different world. And, uh, I, I think we lose sight of that. So it's a very, very, very good point. It's something that I'm, I'm really applaud you for doing is how you work with trauma and you talk a lot about trauma and make that a, a normal thing to talk about. Because I feel like in the past mental health issues or even talking about traumas, that's not, it wasn't part of our everyday vocabulary. And now the younger generations are learning to the, the words to describe emotions and that it's okay to talk about that and things are hard, but let's talk about them. Let's not bury them down. So I am hopeful that even for our children's generation, it's, it's going to be a lot easier when these discoveries are made, or maybe there, there won't be as many situations of MPE because more parents will be honest with their children from the time that they're young. Um, I do see a different future and that encourages me. Yeah. 
Yeah, me too. And one of the things that I don't, I don't mean to make light of the situation, but you know, we, we have to make light of things. Uh, We, we talk, we talk all the time. Can you imagine uh, being, being 70, 80, 90 years old and, and living in those generations and a secret you thought was <laughs> you were going to the grave with just suddenly, I mean, we couldn't have predicted the technology taking the turn it has in the last 10 years. Right. And, and, and I don't mean that, I, I, I don't mean that in a nefarious way, right? I mean, just they thought they made a decision, they lived, they made their decisions, they decided they were gonna live with it, was what those gen- people from those generation did. They just made decisions and they lived with it. That's just what they did. And they made their decision, they live with it, and they're almost at the end of their life. And then, boom technology changes and, and suddenly their, their secrets are exposed and it's, it's gotta be hard for them. And I don't, I don't mean to make a victim out of, of someone who caused someone else pain or anything like that. I, I think it's just important to examine all angles and understand that we're all human. And we're, all, we're all making mistakes, mm-hmm. but you I know, do think, I mean, the, the words out, you can't keep secrets anymore. Right. The words out in most places, I am still kind of shocked in, um, that the fertility industry has been very slow to accept the fact that you know anonymous donation of eggs and yeah. sperm and embryos is not is not pro- possible or practical. Yeah, it's not realistic. Um, and so I think that's still an area where some improvement is needed, and not just. I, I think also support for parents who um, have chosen to build their family that way support not just in how they tell their children but making it normal to everybody in their family that um you know there's different ways that families are built and so we don't need to keep secrets around that sure yeah yeah that's a great point do you think do you foresee in the future where dna tests will be required for uh, newborn babies so in a way it already is happening in the form of the newborn heel stick test. They're not really, they're not specifically testing an infant's DNA and saving it and creating some master database, but we're already doing tests on newborns for the purposes of um, health conditions that if we know about them early, we can prevent the bad things from happening. Sure. Um, so in a way we're already testing newborns, but in, in terms of you know, but that's not their whole genome. It's we don't we don't have a master database of infants' genomes anywhere or anything like that. Yeah. But in terms of require, do you mean like requiring I, DNA tests to prove paternity? Yeah, just and I, and I don't know that I want to use the term prove. I mean, do you see a time in the future where it's just standard practice to establish paternity with a newborn immediately and perhaps build a, a, a genealogical database for generations and to come, you know, uh, where people 200 years from now can just easily trace their family back to the, you know, because we're fascinated with it. I'm, 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 I'm fascinated with my genealogy, especially now since I have, you know, half the other half of the truth and, and thank goodness my family all comes from, from England because of the records they kept, but it still only goes back so far. So, I wonder at times if we're moving in a direction where paternity will be an automatically established, it will be added to a database and that future generations will be able to track their, their genealogy. I could, I could see that happening, but I could also see um, 
kind of the status quo moving forward where it's an opt-in test for parents to decide because parents still have a lot of ch choices over what happens to their children at birth they can opt out of the heel stick test they can opt out of hospital births altogether so okay. um, i think it'll depend on how much we decide parents get to choose over their children and if we as a society agree that parents still have the ultimate say which is kind of how things are now um, maybe it won't be at birth but you know i don't know it's hard yeah. hard to predict the future yeah yeah fair point fair point okay so uh your your watersheddna.com watershedDNA.com. yep okay. and uh people should contact you if if they um, are looking for support after a surprise discovery, no matter who they are in the family. So, okay, great. That's great. Because my support group's everybody. It's not just MPEs. It's the bio dads and their wives and the half siblings and the people that make the discovery and don't know how to tell. Um, yeah, so looking for support after a DNA, DNA surprise, no matter how they're impacted okay okay great all right watershed dna brianne kirkpatrick I, I appreciate you joining me today and uh you know let's reconnect and kind of hash out some other subjects and circle back and and uh see if we can't dig a little deeper on some things happy to do it was happy okay. to be here today yeah well i'm glad you're here so thanks again and uh, we'll talk to you soon talk to you soon all right thanks brian bye bye, -bye. hello Anyone here? Hello. Hello. Oh, oh, hi. There you are. I've been looking all over for you. I want to thank you for listening uh, today. I also want to tell you, if you haven't checked out my website lately, uh, you should do that. It's www.thebradleyhall.com. Just to remind you, I am a holistic life coach, a certified mindfulness instructor, and I am a trauma recovery coach. And in these uncertain times, sometimes we just need someone to talk to, to help us clear our thoughts, help us organize our thoughts, and help us map out a clear direction of where we wanna to go to help us navigate through the obstacles that we, we may encounter through daily life. And I'm here to do that for you. So check out my website. I've got plenty of free content uh, on my, my website, also on my YouTube channel, which is The Bradley Hall. and. Uh, the health preacher. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. So thanks again for listening. We appreciate your support. And until then, take care of yourself.